I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello, I'm Fiona Davison, and welcome to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Today we're transporting you to somewhere very special. And we're not just talking about my garden. Gardens to me are just these magical places where you can escape and you've got light and shadow playing and dancing around. For many people now, gardens are their sanctuary, and that's certainly something I'm feeling. It's really nice to have somewhere to go to when the world feels out of control and strange. But just remember that life is going on and nature's waking up again after a long winter. And I'm finding that really helpful. And like me, I know for many of you, it's not just how the garden looks, but how it makes you feel. Gardening is an activity that will remove you from your current state of mind in a really positive way. Later today, we'll be looking at how we can utilise gardening as a way of finding calm, helping to disrupt the seemingly endless rhythm of lockdown. But for our first guest, it's not the plants that make him feel good. It's the bugs. They're a much maligned group of creatures, but not for our very own Dr Andy Salisbury. What I really love in the garden are perhaps some things some people might dislike. I grew up with insects. First of all, somebody introduced me to bird watching. I got a bit bored of that quite quickly. And then somebody introduced the insects. And there were caterpillars feeding away on the hedges around my school grounds, which are largely hawthorn, including, unfortunately, the brown tail moth. And I found out the hard way that the brown tail moth has hairs which give you rashes. And I just started rearing caterpillars. It's amazing. I remember rearing buff tips. I remember rearing comma and small tortoiseshell butterfly caterpillars on nettles. And of course, that also gave me a rash on my hands. Basically, I never grew up, and now I'm principal entomologist for the RHS. I particularly remember things like, as as a child, finding vine weevil grubs and vine weevil adults in my mum's garden in a pot of containers. She was not happy. I was really pleased. Then there are some things in the garden that really bring joy to me as well. Lifting up a log or, or towing over a stone and finding the, the large devil's coach horse rove beetle. It's a fantastic garden predator. It's just sort of part of that balance of things that are going on in the garden. And then turning my compost heap and finding the um, larvae of the rose chafer. And these are big, fat, three centimetre long white grubs that are feeding away on the compost. 
But then even more thrilling is a few months later when I actually began to see the adult Beatles come out and the Rose Schaefer is two centimetres long and metallic green is often found in flowers such as roses. It doesn't really cause any damage, it's a useful recycler and a fantastic insect to find in the garden. One of my great joys in the summer in the garden is sitting next to my pond and watching those dragonfly nymphs crawl out, shed that skin for the final time, spread their wings and fly off. And the blues for the emperor dragonfly is absolutely amazing. Finally, I always remember finding my first ever elephant hawk moth caterpillar on a, on a fuchsia. Oh, I'd been looking for years when I eventually found one, surprisingly camouflaged for a caterpillar that's sort of four or five centimetres in length. They are surprisingly difficult to spot, but finding it, my heart leaps. This is what happens every time I find an interesting insect. My heart just leaps, I smile, it really cheers me up for the rest of the day. I will always love bugs. <laughs> I also believe that not all creepy crawlies are bad. Take the ground beetle, for example. They're great to have in your garden because they take out leather jackets, the annoying little pests that can damage your manicured lawns. My own patch is far from manicured, I have to say. When the children were growing up, it was a football pitch where the kids and my husband would reenact Spurs' greatest moments and it took a hammering. But now they're grown up, it's my space again and I'm starting to think, what can I do with it? I think I might be in need of some tips. So it's time to turn to Becky Mealy, one of our horticultural advisors. I asked her about how to get my lawn looking radiant. At the moment, your lawn's probably looking a little bit forlorn after the winter. We had a very wet winter, so it's probably looking a little bit lack and lustre. So going out with the, the rake and raking off the thatch so thatch is dead grass and bits of old weed and moss that's built up so it's kind of a bit like taking off the dead skin and revealing all the nice glowing skin from underneath and that's quite a good thing to and then to mow the lawn as well and then you can actually see what kind of issues you've got like with patches and with weeds that may need removing and treating So why is it important to do those jobs right now? The lawn's coming up for the season when it's going to be repairing itself and growing. So this is an ideal situation for removing the weeds before they get to be a problem, but then also working with the grass when it's most active to repair itself. So it's, it's prime spring time. For those of us who maybe haven't been paying much attention to our lawn in the past and are kind of determined to use the time now to get on top of it, what should we go looking for in the shed? What tools would be really good for, say, for the dethatching? So dethatching is with a rake. So ideally you want the spring tine rake, which is like the, the metal rake where they're kind of like a wire. But ideally also you could use a leaf rake and it's just, you're just literally raking away the thatch. You can also use something like a hand fork for getting the weeds out. Even a good old screwdriver is very good for getting down and getting your dandelions out, you know, with those long tap roots. So it's anything just to poke them out and get them out there. And moss, I've got a lot of moss on my lawn because we're quite shaded. Other than just dragging it out, what's the best thing to do for moss? So moss, unfortunately, sometimes you it depends on the location you are. So if you've got more of acidic soil or, I mean, this year has been so wet and so a lot of people will have moss 
due to the conditions. So regular raking will help with it, but then also you can treat it with moss remover. The critical thing at this time of year is to make sure that you're measuring out correctly and to water after application because what it can do, a lot of the moss killers can actually blacken and kill the rest of your lawn. And we are getting very dry springs at the moment. So if you are going to put any kind of treatment down, it's keep an eye on what the weather's doing, but also make sure you've got a sprinkler or you can get out there with the hose or lots of watering cans. That'd be quite good for your fitness, getting out and watering your lawn with a watering can. <laughs> but yeah, that's the crucial bit is the watering because you can very easily scorch the entire of your lawn. And are there any pests or diseases we need to be looking out for as well? With diseases, so there's quite a few fungal diseases that can come from overwinter time. So things like snow mould, it makes nice big ball patches in your lawn. Potentially you might have something called dry patch where it's one big dry patch and there's nothing growing in it. Even weeds aren't growing there. So what that is, is a fungal disease that actually makes kind of like a rubberization of the lawn. And so therefore the rain can't penetrate it and and water the grass. So the best thing for that is to spike it. So any kind of bare patches you have at this time of year is just spike it with your actual border fork. And so you're trying to make sure that the water will actually break through that pan that has created. You might be able to find some leather jackets and some cockchafers at this time of year, but at the moment it's still a little bit chilly, so they might be hanging around a little bit lower under the ground. They usually kind of see them more in the summertime, and that is the time when you can apply the nematodes to those, because nematodes don't like it when it's cold. We've got a fox who comes into our garden a lot, and I've been giving him hard stares because I kind of blame him. Am I right? Is Would he damage my lawn? Yeah, he so he would be digging down and finding if there's cockchafers and leather jackets in there because they're quite nice high-protein snacks for them. And then also, like dogs, foxes can burn the lawn if they're urinating on there. So it's they can do a bit of damage. Yeah, um, I mean, but, I don't but, begrudge him. I don't mind. He's no, mostly no. just sunbathing. I don't mind him. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's just a bit like the squirrel. I've got a squirrel that likes burying things in my lawn. <laughs> A lot of people are thinking as well, I think, about lawns being kind of like a green desert. And what can we do to encourage wildlife to get some benefit from our lawns? I mean, I quite like the odd little bit of a weed in the lawn at the moment. I've got violets and I've got a few daisies and dandelions. So I kind of keep my weeds to a manageable level. So there's a point where they get, right, okay, I'm going to remove a few. But I do have the odd bit of weed in my lawn and it's easy to encourage those. And you can actually get flowering lawns now where these are low-growing wildflowers that you're actually reducing how many times you mow. Yeah, and you've got the benefits of wildlife there too. Yeah, I feel a lot better now. An RHS advisor's got dandelions, that's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so to finish off, what are your top three tips for a healthy looking lawn? Always give it a little bit of a rake before you mow. So things like the weeds that are the creeping weeds, like your creeping buttercups and stuff. If you rake it and you're kind of raking their hands up in the air 
and then you're mowing them off. <laughs> that keeps them a little bit under control. And then also by you regularly raking, you're regularly keeping on top of things like moss. Also, grass really likes to have, it, it loves that scarification. It kind of tends to make it break it, its growing points. And so it actually thickens it up a little bit. So that's quite a good one. Always try and make sure your mower blades quite sharp. A lot of people neglect their mowers. If you think about it like surgery, a surgeon would never have a blunt knife. So if you can always try and make sure you maintain your mower really good, then you'll have a nice cut of your lawn. Lastly is do give your lawn a little feed every now and then. Summer feeds and spring feeds are great. I'm not too much into autumn feeds because sometimes if you feed your lawn too much in the autumn, it can get fungal diseases later in the winter time so it's better i think to feed it when the lawn actively needs it in spring and summer becky's always full of very useful advice and i was relieved to hear that her lawn isn't in pristine condition either i'm determined now to save my lawn And this sense of growing and salvaging something really gives me a sense of purpose at the moment. There's one friend of the show who agrees with me. Lee Burkle is a designer who won the 2016 RHS Feel Good Gardens competition. For Lee, feeling good and gardening go hand in hand. I think the biggest benefit for gardening that I've experienced, and I always try and promote this is that gardening is an activity that will remove you from your current state of mind in a really positive way so rather than thinking about gardening as another task or activity if you think of it it's taking you away from your current stresses and allowing you to do something that has pretty much no time pressure the plants aren't going to talk back to you you've got no deadline there's very little fear of failure it's a activity that you can pick up you can do it for 10 minutes you can do it for 10 hours 10 days and you're completely in that activity so whether you're weeding propagating sowing seeds cutting the lawn picking fruit pruning a fruit tree you're completely absorbed in that one activity so Compared to normal life where you might be trying to multitask, you're dealing with emails, social media, phones, work, children, education. With a garden, you pretty much can only do one thing at a time. So the things that I do to help my mental well-being, especially during self-isolation, is I have what I call the hour of power once a day in the garden. Sometimes that hour drifts into two or three, depending on what else is on the list. But what I would say to to new and experienced gardeners alike is have your hour of power. And if you're sowing seeds, you're going to have to water them. You're going to be checking up on them. You're probably going to be really excited to see the progress. And that hour of power will will whiz by because you'll be out either in your greenhouse or on your windowsill or your um, balcony looking at those seedlings making sure do they need some water are they okay should I rotate them are they getting the best amount of sun you might need to move things around to try and even that out if you're not growing seedlings but you've got a garden your hour of power could be as banal as weeding taking that hour to yourself clearing up the beds looking at the growth of your new plants and you'll be amazed after an hour of weeding 
looking back at herbaceous perennials, shrubs, trees, all of a sudden they'll look different and you'll start to see new growth. You'll see things that you would have otherwise overlooked. And for the hour of power, all of a sudden you're out of the stress, you're seeing developments, things happening that weren't happening before and they're because of you and Mother Nature, but mainly because you're out there doing something in harmony with her. And I think for a lot of people, you'd be really surprised at the benefits and the calm that, that will bring to you during these quite turbulent times. Thanks, Lee. I must try and get my hour of power in later today. His idea of staying very focused in the garden to help your plants as well as your mental health is wonderful. Having said that, I've already been very productive over the last strange bank holiday weekend we had. Made the commitment to another compost heap. We built it over the weekend. The local council has stopped doing green bins, so we're really accumulating a lot of green waste. And a lot of it is lawn clippings. And so now we've made the commitment and we've built a new compost heap. I've got a new baby to look after and it's keeping me really busy. It's been great to see that the RHS Twitter feed this week is full of you showing the world that gardening is not cancelled. I think it shows that we can still find joy in our houseplants, hanging baskets or even homegrown veg. One RHS Chelsea gold medal winning duo are no different and for them, gardens not only inspire but allow them to tell stories. Gardens to me are just these magical places where you can escape and you've got light and shadow playing and dancing around. My own garden is really a place where I feel like I replenish. You've got plants and wildlife constantly changing, constantly adapting. I think the garden teaches us loads about patience and relinquishing control. And it's just an area which is dynamic and, and beautiful and I really feel like I can escape. This amazing, you know, natural world goes on around us and it gives us moments to just stop and observe it and learn from it. Being able to work on those landscapes and provide people their mini little oasis of gardens is what drives me and I find it, you know, I really, really enjoy what I do. I'm Charlotte Harris and I'm a landscape designer and I'm the Harris of Harris Bug Studio. And I'm Hugo Bug. I'm also a landscape designer and I'm the bug part of Harris Bug Studio. How did I get into garden design? Well, I grew up in a very unremarkable suburb with a very normal suburban garden. My mother was really passionate about her garden and, and gardened all the time when she wasn't working. And so that was just part of what we always did together. I didn't, however, have a clear sense of what I wanted to do, um, started working in marketing. And then in my mid-20s, I lost my parents and took some time out. And I think probably resonates with, you know, a number of people that the garden becomes a sanctuary and a place of calm and a place to rebuild your sort of inner turmoil. And really it developed from that. The unique aspect of our business is we really drill down into the narrative of the site. Now that could be the history of the site, it could also be the geology. I think what does make it different is that storytelling approach because the best gardens and the gardens that we love to go to by other designers are the gardens that sort of peel back and you don't see everything at once. 
and we want people to be able to unpeel stories so they go oh I well I didn't kind of think about it like that but that's a really lovely moment and that has given me real joy in coming to that part of the garden. We have been lucky enough to be asked to design the kitchen garden at the new RHS Garden Bridgewater, which is the RHS's fifth public garden, and I'm sure lots of listeners know about it and are following its progress. And there are many amazing things about RHS Bridgewater, but one of the sort of things that makes it singular, and when you go there, you realise there is the Bridgewater Canal on the south boundary, and you are in a 150 acres that basically is located by one of the most important waterways of the Industrial Revolution. And we wanted to take that story of the importance of the heritage of that area around Salford and Manchester and sort of bring it in to our design for the kitchen garden. And so we looked at the canal systems and waterways of that that very specific area when we designed the garden. Um, and they have a version of those waterways have become the sort of pathways. If you look at it from the air, you will see an abstracted sort of canal layout. And we do that because we sort of want the garden to tell other stories and really ground it in the history of that place. So you you make a garden that is not just about the plants that you perhaps see on a visual plane, but also other elements that you unpick and unpeel over time. Charlotte and I were really looking forward to doing Chelsea Flower Show this May, um, and where we were going to be designing and building a garden for the main sponsor, M&G. We wanted to um, create a garden, and hopefully still will do in the future, a garden which was like pocket park-like in its design in a city environment. We wanted to create a garden that was for all, and when I say for all, for people and wildlife in the city. It was a place where you could reconnect with nature. I think it's about 80% of the populations around the world are going to be living in cities by 2050. So creating these little gardens that can connect with one another throughout the city are vital. And so we wanted to bring that concept to Chelsea with materials and objects which have quite an industrial past. You know, we wanted to make it something that was recognisably part of the city, but also really beautiful. So the planting is, is kind of very rich and, and textural, but the, the materials are not... We're not afraid to use materials that you would see in the city. So we've got reclaimed paving stones, so natural stone that were from industrial sort of parts, like factories and things. There was going to be repurposed um, steel pipes through the garden. So the colours that you'd see in the garden really are these sort of quite rich tones of the repurposed, um, reclaimed metal. Um, So some really rich, bronzy colours. And then what that allows is an amazing backdrop for the planting to kind of shine. And what we wanted to create is an idea of um, kind of dappled light and the kind of richness of tree canopies in a space where sometimes we don't have quite enough trees as we should do. Um, so the planting is has a woodland character. There are moments of pools of sunshine. So there are rich greens and obviously the planting will be for May, so lots of stuff unfurling and then pops of blue and purple and white and some pale pinks as well, some lovely irises.
You know, now more than ever, we realise how important our green space is. And if you're in a town or city and you don't have a garden, and obviously with all the sort of um, understanding around social distancing, gosh, what a resonance that is, that these urban gardens, these public parks, pocket parks, are a lifeline for people and their children just to have a moment of green and to get out. Charlotte Harris and Hugo Bug on the stories they're sharing through gardens. Let us know what your garden means to you. You can get in touch by tweeting at the underscore RHS with the hashtag RHS podcast. For more information on what we talked about today, you can visit rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. We'll be back next week when we'll be learning about a tree that for some is ugly, but for one man is lovely. They do look quite alien in the landscape, but I just think if you're ever going to get children interested in plants or get people enthused, catch the magic of a plant, this has so much personality and stories behind it. I'm intrigued to hear what it is. But until then, it's goodbye from me, Fiona Davison. I hope your lawns will look as glorious as mine in no time. down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Crest robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Crest robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.